word. If you've got a Bible, we're going to be in the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 4. Uh, this past week, uh, my daughter and I, one of the things we like to do together, we enjoy cooking, baking, like making food together. It's one of the things we enjoy doing. And so she came home from school, I think it was uh, maybe Tuesday, and she was excited because uh, in her classroom, the teacher had made a homemade applesauce like in, the, in a crock pot. And so she's like, Dad, we made applesauce and we can make it at home. And she said it takes, uh, one, uh, it takes a half cup of sugar and a half cup of cinnamon. I said, okay, so we didn't like double check that recipe online or anything like that. We just threw it in the crock pot. We put a half a cup of sugar, half a cup of cinnamon in. Most, if you've made applesauce before, you've already recognized our blunder, right? Way too much cinnamon in that applesauce, right? We made good uh, apple butter, maybe. We didn't try it because it, we're going to try again next week. It just didn't, it didn't turn out too well. Because evidently, you're not supposed to put that much cinnamon in your applesauce mixture, right? And so what happened is this, is that we were misinformed on the recipe, and it led to our applesauce sort of being deformed. And I, I, I want to just say that tonight, what I think happens in our lives a lot of times is we are misinformed, lied to, manipulated by the world, the flesh, and the devil, and what happens is this, is that we end up deformed. That misinformation often leads to deformation. And Paul is writing to this church in the province of Galatia. It's a Roman province or in the area of Turkey. And he's writing to this group of churches who have been misinformed. And as a result, they're in, uh, they're, 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 uh, in danger of becoming deformed. That Paul has planted these churches here and he's preached the gospel to them and he has uh, left them a solid foundation. But what's happened is there's some people who have come into these churches and they have begun to preach a different gospel. They are called Judaizers is what the, they, they've called them and they've come in and what they've been doing is they've been telling people that yes, Jesus uh, saves you, but if you really want to be kind of in the church and you really want to follow Jesus and you really want to, you, you have to do all these extra things. So they were saying that you had to, uh, one of the, the major questions that we get as you read the New Testament is because Christianity comes out of Judaism, is like how Jewish do these early followers of Jesus have to be? How many, do they have to obey all of the rules of the Old Testament? Do they have to uh, follow all of the dietary laws and all those things? And so all these questions are being asked, and there's this group of people that's coming in and saying, in order to claim and, and, and know Christ and follow Him, you have to do all of these things. And they added on circumcision, and they added on dietary laws, and they're adding on special holidays that these people had to observe. And Paul writes them this scathing letter, right? It, most of his letters, he opens up with this nice, like, grace and peace to you. And then he opens a prayer, and he's like, I'm so thankful for you. But in Galatians, he opens up and says, grace and peace to you. Oh, by the way, I'm shocked at your behavior. I, I can't believe you guys. You started so good, and now you're being led astray. What is the deal? That's basically the way he starts the letter. And so in Galatians chapter 4, where we're going to read, and we're going to kind of be moving around the book a little bit, uh, Paul is coming in, and he's, he's getting kind of personal with them. And so I want to read verse 8 through 20 in chapter 4, but we're really going to hone in on verse 19, beginning at verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again 
to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world. Whose slaves you want to be once more? Notice he's again, he's saying, listen, you started off good. How in the world, why are you turning back to the things you came away from? He says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. So I came to your church and I did all of this work for what? Why, why did I do all that if you're going to walk away from the gospel and begin to accept something that is false? He says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I have also become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What has become of your blessedness? For I testify that if possible, I would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. For you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you. He's speaking here of the people that have come in and they're spreading this false information. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that they may much, make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose and not only when I'm present with you. Verse 19, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Verse 19, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul here writes this church, and again, they have this group of people that have come in and they're misinforming them and they're causing, they're stirring up trouble and they're preaching a different gospel and saying Jesus is not enough. That's, that's the essence of what they're saying. Saying Jesus is not enough. And Paul is coming back saying, no, 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 that, that's not true. We, we preach this gospel to you and Jesus is enough. It is through faith in Jesus that you're saved. It's through faith in Jesus that this thing happens. And he writes here and tells them that he desires that Christ be formed in them. Paul here, he turns very tender towards this church in verse 19. These were his spiritual children. These were the people that he had given birth to, spiritually speaking. And the best way to translate it here when he calls them this is the little children. It's this tender, affectionate term in the Greek that says, man, little children. I, I'm like a, like a mother responding to their, their child. He's speaking. But he's also making a comment here about how immature they are. That he's having to say, dear little children, listen, time to grow up. Time to stop listening to the lies of the people around you. Time to stop allowing these people to spread these things in your church. Time to grow up. So this term has this affection, but also this, you guys need to grow up into the fullness that is yours in Christ. And he wants to get his point across in this verse, and he uses a metaphor that's exclusive to this verse, and he kind of alludes to it elsewhere, but this is the only place where Paul uses this exact sort of language. And he compares himself to a mother in labor. Now, I've never been through labor, obviously. Like, I'm not, that didn't happen. But I've heard that it is quite painful, right? All the ladies say amen, right? I've heard that it's quite painful. And he uses, he compares himself to a woman going through the pain of childbirth. But he, he's, what he's saying is this, I'm willing to go through all that over again for the sake of you. He's saying, I, I love you and I want Christ to be formed in you. I want Christ to work in your life so much. I'm willing to go through pain and agony again for you. 
He paints himself as a mother who willingly goes through pregnancy and labor and delivery all over again to secure the well-being of her children. The word he uses here isn't just about birth, but it's that idea of the anguish and the pain and the, the things that you have to go through in birthing a child. It's only used, this word's only used two other times in the New Testament. So this is a very unique idea that Paul's getting across here. Why is he in such deep, deep anguish? Because he wants Christ to be formed in them. He wants Christ to be formed. He's so concerned that Christ would be formed in him. And he continues with the metaphor because the word form he uses here is a medical term for the growth of a fetus into an infant. One commentator put it this way, Paul was so deeply anguished over the Galatians, he did not want them to suffer a spiritual miscarriage, but desired instead that they make their calling sure. And this could only happen through the birth of Christ in their hearts. So this church is in danger of losing all that God has given them because of this misinformation that's been spread and it's led to deformation. And if it continues, it's going to lose to a loss of everything that Paul has put in the work for and everything that God has done in their lives. And Paul says, I'm in such anguish and pain and like Christ needs to be formed in you again. He's frustrated because he'd already labored for this church and they were in danger of letting what God had begun to die. And you know, we can do the same thing in our own lives. That God has begun a good work in us, and I do believe that He will finish it, but here's the thing, like, we have a part to play as well. That we have to uh, fan that, that thing into flame, that we have to let Christ be formed in us, and we have to be formed into the image of Christ. And we can be in danger, if we're not careful, of letting what Christ has begun begin to, to fade away. Right? We call it, we call it backsliding. That's the way we, what we talk about. But we can be in danger of that if not careful. So what does, and this is what I want to look at tonight, what does Paul do to help them in this, this way? What does Paul do to help them realize their need for that Christ to be formed in them? What is it that he gives them? And these are just a few of the things that I'd like to point out this evening. First of all, Paul, in order to see Christ formed in them, focuses them on the truth of Scripture. He looks at Scripture through the lens of Christ. You see, before Paul was saved, he was, uh, he was a Jew and he, was, uh, uh, he followed Judaism. And there are many that think that uh, Judaism around this time was very missionary-like, like they like to uh, gain converts. And so Paul, they think that he was pretty passionate about converting people over to Judaism. And so uh, something that before he was saved that he was already very missionary-like, but only for the Jewish religion instead of for Jesus. But after encountering Jesus, things changed in his life, right? Now he's a missionary for Jesus and not for anything or for anyone else. So I think that Paul is, is in a sense, sort of uh, the reason he's so angry and one of the reasons he's so taken aback here is he knows what it's like to be enslaved by those things. And he's got a personal connection to it. And he's going, why would you, why would you want to go back to that? Why, why would you want to go back to that way of doing things? Why would you want to go back to that? And instead now he focuses on Scripture through the lens of Christ. In Galatians chapter 4, he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. 
What does Paul do in Galatians? He looks back at the Old Testament scriptures, but he does it in several places like this in light of what Jesus has done. So now he sees the Old Testament scriptures as, as he did before, but he sees them with a different lens. Anybody have eye, eye problems like me? Like if I take these off, I, like I can't even tell who's on the front row, right? But I put them on and I can see who they are. And so before, Paul is, is following Judaism, but it's like, like I can't, he can't see clearly. But when Christ comes in, it's like he looks back over those Old Testament scriptures and now everything starts to come into view. And you'll find in the book of Galatians, we don't have time to read it all, but I encourage you to read it. Man, he's all over the place referencing the Old Testament. And he's, but he's doing so and he's looking back and he's putting the lens of Christ over it and going, Christ, is, Christ was working and he was moving and, he, and God was working in order to get Christ here in the fullness of time. And he's working to save you and save me. And so he looks back at that. Another, another thing he does is this, is he looks back, he looks back at Abraham. And so there's this passage in Galatians chapter 3. And I think that Paul is doing this. He's got these Jewish guys coming into the congregation trying to stir up trouble. And he goes, all right, you want to talk about those types of things? Like, I can talk about that if you want to. And I can do you one more. And he kind of like dives into their, uh, one of the most famous individuals in Jewish history, Abraham. And he says, I see what you're doing there, but you're missing the point. I see what you're doing there, but you're not seeing it correctly. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 15, he says this, To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Verse 16, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Amen. What does all that mean? He's saying, listen, you guys who want to come into this church and you want everybody to follow the letter of the law, if you'll look back in your own history, you'll realize Abraham got it as a promise 430 years before the law was even given. So he's looking back at the same scriptures that they're looking at and claiming that you have to do this, this, and this. And he's going, no, 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 you, like you're not, you're not seeing clearly. You're, mi you're missing the whole point if you look more deeply. And he, so he points them back to the scripture, but not, like, not just the scripture, because anybody can quote scripture. I mean, we've all met those people who are like, they got it memorized, but man. But he points them back, not just to point them back to scripture, but to point them back, no, no, you're not seeing it clearly. This is what Jesus has done. It's all about the promise, the faith. It's not about your works. It's about faith in Jesus. And it's always been about faith in Jesus. Always been about faith in Jesus. And so he, he takes them back to the scriptures in order to form them, in order to see Christ formed in them. And then not only does he take them to the scripture, but he reminds them of the power of the Spirit. He reminds them of the power of the Spirit. This book is chock full of references to the Holy Spirit. And you see, they bought into the lie again that their relationship with God is based on works. But in Galatians 3, again, he reminds them that it's a work of the Spirit. Verse 1, O foolish Galatians, again, this strong language, who has bewitched you? It was before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Verse 2, let me ask you only this. 
Do you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? What's he saying? You, you started off good. And listen, we, we see this a lot of times in church today, right? You get saved and it's by faith and it's work of the Spirit. But now, buddy, you better get your act together. You better perform. You better get it together. And sometimes we even have a, like an unspoken like timeline. Like we see that new convert and we're like, well, they'll get away with that now because they're new. But after they've been here a while, they better get it together. Like we start with the Spirit. We continue with the Spirit. And I, listen, that, there's a fine line there because the longer you serve Jesus and the more of Him you, you give your, yourself, the more you give yourself to Him, He's going to eventually touch those areas and go, no, 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 this needs to change. And we need to be sensitive with one another and go, you know, I, I sense that maybe God wants to work in this area of your life. Like, we need that. But there's a difference between that and saying, you better, you better toe the line. You better get it together. Like, there, you, you, you sense the difference? Like, there's a big difference in those two things. And many times in churches, we, we, get, we do this to ourselves maybe more than anything else. We beat ourselves up. We start with faith by the Spirit, and then we think we have to perform. And Paul says, no, are, like, you foolish Galatians. Like, you foolish Lakelanders, if he was writing to us. Don't you understand? You started with the Spirit, and this thing continues to be a work of the Spirit. What, what does that even mean? It just means... As the Holy Spirit's working in your life, you go, yes. It doesn't mean you sit back and passively do nothing, but it means you're not doing those things in order to earn something from God. That you're simply responding to the Holy Spirit and saying yes. And as you say yes, He starts to form you. He starts to shape you. He starts to mold you and make you. Again, not so, you're not earning anything. You're not performing. You're saying yes to the Holy Spirit. It's the same thing in your marriage, right? You want to grow closer to your spouse. And maybe they did, maybe they didn't, I don't know, but I, my, my wife didn't come like, with a list of things like, you better do this, this, and this, and this. Like, no, it's, a, it's, a, like, it's relational, and it's fluid, and it moves, and I, my goal is to, uh, is to love her, and, to, uh, and, and how that occurs, it just, I respond to her, and she responds to me, and, and we grow in relationship with one another. And there's no, like, performance, and no, like, I'm earning something. We're, we're relating to one another. And the same thing's true with the Holy Spirit. We're not performing. We're, we're in relationship with Him. He's, he's saying, hey, this needs to change. You love me, man. This needs to change. This needs to go. And we go, yes, I love you. This is going to change. This is going to go. And it starts to go. And he said, hey, by the way, you need to, you need to do this and not that. Okay, no problem, because I, I love you and I want to please you. you. You see the difference between that and performing and trying to, to kind of put our shoulder to the wheel and get it right? It, it's this relational idea. And Paul reminds them that it's a work of the Spirit. And so he points them not only back to the Scriptures, but he points them to the Spirit and says, you've got to let the Holy Spirit work in your life. Galatians chapter 5, famous passage. We'll, we'll read verse 20, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The Spirit wants to produce all of these things in our life as we say yes to Him and as we, as we surrender ourselves to Him on a regular basis. And this transformation comes as we submit to the Spirit. 
And so Paul appeals and points them back to the Scriptures, and he points them back to the power of the Spirit. And then he points them, he appeals to his authority as an apostle of the church. So we won't read it because it's, it's lengthy, but he opens up Galatians with this lengthy uh, biography of, of kind of his accomplishments and what God's done in his life. And it's actually the, if you want to know about Paul, this is like Galatians 1 and 2 is the section to read. We know more about Paul kind of from that section than we get from any of his other letters. So he tells us that uh, he was a passionate follower of Judaism before he saved, that he persecuted the church and he violently tried to destroy it. But he says this, that God set him apart from birth and called him by grace. And we see this from so Acts kind of, we don't get the full story in Acts, so Galatians kind of uh, gives us the backstory. So he, he's on the road to Damascus, as you're aware, and, he, and he's knocked down by this vision of Jesus, and he comes to faith in Jesus. And if you're reading Acts, you think like, next week he's out planting churches. But that's not true. In Galatians, we get this idea that he goes to the, he goes to the desert alone for some time. And he's there praying and studying and, and spending time with Jesus. And then finally, he goes up to Jerusalem. And we see from this uh, sort of sketch that he gives of his past that he is recognized by the apostles as an apostle. Now, why is he sharing all of this? Because he says, listen, I'm not writing to you as just some like Joe Schmo on the corner of the street who's like just writing to you some idea that maybe you should follow. No, I'm writing to you as one who's called by God. And, and he uses this forceful language even in, in verse 1, uh, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through man. And then in verse uh, 11, he says this, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel I preach is not man's gospel. So he's saying, I, I didn't get appointed by some man. Jesus called me himself. And I've been recognized by the apostles after Jesus called me. And I'm speaking to you with some authority. I'm not speaking to you as one who doesn't have authority. I'm speaking to you as one who has authority. And he speaks to them with this passion and this, you guys need to knock it off. There are people in your midst who are destroying you, and if we're not careful, you're going to miscarry the very thing that God has birthed in you. And so he appeals to them, be formed, let Christ be formed in you, and he looks to the Scriptures, and he looks to the Spirit, and he looks to his authority as an apostle. And the question is this, is what about you and what about me? You see, we live in a world that through the world, the flesh, and the devil, as we would say, is constantly trying to misinform, manipulate, lie to us, uh, and cause us to be deformed, to cause us to let the very thing that God wants to do in our life be aborted, to be, be miscarried, that, that he, wants to, he wants to ruin God's plan for your life and for my life. How in the world do we combat this? What is, it, what is it that we need to do? Well, first of all, we look to Scripture. We must be people who are formed by the Word of God. Amen. Not people who use the Word, not people who abuse the Word, but people who are transformed by the Word. There's a massive difference. If you're reading your Bible and it's always about them over there and not about you in here, then you're reading it wrong. It must convict and challenge and, and mess with us. I remember in a, in a Bible study, I was in a Bible study years ago. I was young. I was just out of high school. 
And I went to this Bible study this guy in the church was hosting in his home. And he started reading from uh, 1 John chapter 2. And he read from that passage where it says, You don't need anyone to teach you. The Holy Spirit will teach you. And he took that and he began to say, You don't need any teachers in your life. And I, at the time, like something didn't sit right in, with me, but I wasn't like bold enough or educated enough to say, Hold on, I'm not sure. By looking back, the irony of a teacher telling me I didn't need a teacher ought to at least like, put up a red flag or two. But this guy was using Scripture to say what it didn't say. Because there are numerous other places in the Bible that talk about the necessity and the goodness of teachers. And so he was manipulating it, and people will manipulate Scripture, and that's not what I'm talking about. We need to read the whole Bible. We need to get a hold of the whole counsel of God. You need to, you need to dig into Scripture. You need to do more. Uh, if, like if you're, if you're reading devotionally, then step it up a little bit and dive in a little bit deeper. If you're not reading devotionally or not reading at all, start reading. But I would encourage you, wherever you are in your Bible reading, like take the next step. Because there's always more of God in His Word to discover. You know, that there are scholars who spend their entire lives studying one verse or one book or one section. You are not going to exhaust the riches of God's Word. Study it. Dive into it. Don't cherry-pick what you want. That's, that's the thing is we, we often come to it with uh, our lenses and we want to pull out our viewpoint. So we come to it with our viewpoint already. Listen, I don't come to Scripture as best we possible. We don't need to come to Scripture with our viewpoint. We need to let Scripture transform our viewpoint. Yeah. But we live in a time where people want to take Scripture and they want to come at it from their angle. And great, okay, but man, we need to let that transform us. Like if Scripture is always backing up what we want, then man, we got a problem because it's correcting us and, and changing us and shaping us. And we need to look to Scripture to transform us. What does that mean practically? Again, if you're not reading, get a plan. You can go to, I think, Bible.com, and there's like hundreds of thousands of Bible reading plans. You can read them right on your phone or whatever. There's an app for it. Get a plan. Get a place. Start reading. And here's what I would encourage you to do. Read and write down all your questions and find someone to discuss things with. Because here's another problem is a lot of times we read alone. And what I've discovered is this. Devotions are meant to be... Uh, they're meant to be personal, but they're not meant to be private. Like, we need to discuss Scripture with one another. Because sometimes, you ever been in there, like you're reading and you get something and you're like, that's a great idea, and like, you just committed some big heresy or something, right? Anybody ever had that happen besides me? Yeah, so you're reading and you're like, this is what this says, and you get out and you're like, I don't, like, no, that's not what that means, right? And so we need to ask questions, engage with each other, because uh, we need each other. And we, we need to read the Bible, but we need one another in that process as well. And so we need to go back to Scripture. You need to read the Bible, consume it, because that is one of the primary ways that God wants to transform your life. This is one of the primary ways that Christ is formed in you. And so we, we go back to Bible. It's the, it's the way that the Bible is the way that transformation happens. And then we look to the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit is the agent who applies God's Word to our life. He's the agent that applies God's Word to our life. Before we read, it's a good idea to pray. I would encourage you, like, yeah, like, invite the Holy Spirit to be present as you're reading. The Holy Spirit works to challenge us, change us, convict us based on God's Word. It's based on God's Word. I remember when I was a kid, um, I was in Bible quiz. Anybody heard of Bible quiz? 
So I was in like Bible quiz, as a, I was in JBQ, right, junior Bible quiz, and uh, yeah, and I, I, was, I was not good, I was not a good kid anyway. Um, because we, we were mean and we were like super competitive. Like I'm not, I'm not competitive at sports, but like when it comes to academic stuff, it's like, get out of my way. Like I'm, I'm on it, right? Like a sports, I'm like, why, why am I running these bases? But if you get me in the classroom, I'm like, let's go, right? So at JBQ, we made this, there was this team that was like the team to beat. And our coach was like, we're going, we need to beat this team. And I remember beating them and we made the kid cry because he lost. And I was like, yeah. Anyway, sorry, that's a side note. But I, I, I'll say this, as I got older and the Lord worked in me, uh, we had to memorize, we got into teen Bible quiz. And in teen Bible quiz, what they do is they just give you a book of the Bible and they're like, here. And you're supposed to memorize it. And I remember as a teenager memorizing large sections of the New Testament. Uh, several chapters out of Ephesians, a chapter or two out of Galatians, uh, Luke, Acts. And I, I, I'll never forget memorizing those things. And then years later, even now, and I'll be going through something in those verses. 20 years ago, man, boom. They'll pop in and I, man, exactly what I needed. I'll be, I'll be going through something and man, the Holy Spirit, boom. We need the Word of God, but we need the Spirit of God to work in our lives. He's the one that's producing and changing us and shaping us and molding us. And Listen, I've hit the point where I, want, I, I long to see the power of God work in us and through us, but man, I, I, I'm, I much more want the fruit of the Spirit working in my life, because if I get the power without the fruit, then I've missed the point. Like, I, I, want, I want to be more loving and more peaceful and more joyful and more filled with more goodness and faithfulness and self-control, and let the power of God come as, I'm, as He's developing those things in my life, because we've got to respond to the Holy Spirit and let Him mold us and shape us into the people that He wants us to be. It is a work of the Spirit. Too many Christians are angry, resentful, have no peace, no joy, and lack self-control. That's a sure sign that they have not been allowing the Holy Spirit to do His job. And we must allow the Holy Spirit to do His job in our lives. So if we want to be, have Christ formed in us, it starts with His Word. That is the, the way that we're transformed. And then it's a work of the Spirit as He applies that word to our life. And then the context where that happens is the church. We don't like to talk about this one. And this is a tough one for us. Uh, because we live in a culture and you hear many people say, well, you know, like, I love Jesus, but like, the whole church thing. Like, eh, do you really have to go to church in order to be saved well? You might, like, you could probably get into heaven. Like, that's between you and Jesus. But, like, Christians attend church. Like, that's part of what, like, that's part of what we sign up to do. And I get, you know, online and all that stuff, okay. But, like, Christians engage with other Christians. That's part of being a Christian. It's not, it's not like on the optional list. But we like to put it on the optional list. If we're saved, we are to submit to, attend, minister in, and be a part of a local church. Again, I get that it's weird and there, there have been abuse in churches and maybe you've got church hurt. Listen, I got church hurt. I know all about it. But none of that changes the fact that we're called to be a part of the body of Christ. And none of that changes the fact that this is where transformation takes place. We, we don't, this is the thing, like you and I, we don't get to run out and make up our own doctrine. And we don't get to run around and do whatever we want. We come in this room, we stand on the shoulders of great men and women of God who have gone before us. 
who have been led by the Spirit and who have, have wrestled with the Scriptures. And we stand uh, with one another and with them as God's working in our lives. If you don't have a church, what happens is you end up with a cult. I believe, if memory serves me correctly, it was Mormonism that Joseph Smith goes to a Pentecostal revival and has a real legitimate experience with God. And he goes back home and there is no local church for him to engage with. He doesn't plug into a church and here we are all these years later with a large cult following that's been started. We need the church. As much as we like to snub our noses and it's kind of like popular, maybe not for you guys, but I, I run in circles sometimes where it's like popular to say, well, like, we don't really need that. Well, yeah, yeah, you do. Or maybe you've heard, all I need is Jesus. Great, but the Jesus that you need says you also need the church. Oh. Like, you, you, cannot, you, cannot, you cannot separate yourself from that. You are connected to me. I'm connected to you, we, whether we like it or not. Sorry. Right? Like, we're connected to each other because there's something supernatural that happens if we engage, as we engage and interact with one another. We keep one another straight. We help each other grow. The Holy Spirit uses you and uses me to iron sharpens iron, right? To move us forward. To go back to my former illustration of the teacher who said we didn't need teachers in the Bible study, right? If everybody was out sort of doing whatever they wanted to do that way, it would be a madhouse. Imagine how crazy things would be. And again, we, like, we kind of snub authority as Pentecostals. We're like, eh, me and the Spirit. No, that's great, but you need a church. And you need people that help keep you grounded. And you need people that help keep you solid. And I don't know if you kind of caught this here, but what we need to grow up and to have Christ formed in us is God's Word, the Holy Spirit, and we need a church. Yes. That we need each other. And when we engage in all three... Christ is formed in us. We begin to grow. We begin to become the people that God wants us to be. You see, Christ is formed in us as we engage with Scripture through the power of the Spirit in the context of the church. Christ is formed in us as we engage with Scripture through the power of the Spirit in the context of the church. That's how transformation happens. That's how it works. As we begin to do those things, man, day after day after day, as we begin to submit to the Spirit and we begin to submit ourselves to the Word of God and we begin to engage one another in the church, they, all, they work to balance each other out. So you, you can't come and say, well, here's my, here's my weird interpretation of this passage of the Bible because the church goes, like, we've been interpreting that for a long time and that's not what that says. And you go, oh, okay. And you correct. Or you come in and say, oh, the Holy Spirit spoke this to me. And we go, I'm not, I, I'm not so sure, buddy. We say, this is what the Word of God says, and this is what we've said for thousands of years as a church. And you see how we, we keep one another in check? Or you come and you just, listen, there's more to transformation than just information. Sometimes we forget that. We like to think the only thing we need is information and we'll be transformed. But if that were true, then just reading the Bible and having it memorized and having information would be enough, but you don't just need the information. You need the church to help you apply it, and you need the Spirit to help work it in your life because there's more to transformation than just information. That You need that. You need, you need to more than just to engage Scripture. You engage it through the power of the Spirit in the context of the church. And all of these things balance one another, and all of a sudden we start to grow. And instead of being deformed... Christ is formed in us. And that if we want to be people who can combat the world, 
the flesh and the devil who are lying to us, misinforming us, deforming us, manipulating us. If we want to combat those things, we're going to need the church, the spirit, and the word. And we need to commit ourselves to those things more than ever because we need revival. But here's the, here's the thing. If we want something that has a solid foundation that God can continue to work in for the long haul, and we've got to have Christ formed in us. And we've got to plant our feet firmly on the Word, the church, and the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, what happens, man, there's, there's hundreds if not thousands of revivals that have started off and then all of a sudden just nothing. And we, if we want something that transforms Lakeland, transforms our lives, transforms our world for the long haul, then we've got to think through, man, what does God want from us what is, what is, how does he want to form us? We've got to go down deep. We can't, we can't just go wide. We've got to go deep. And I just want to encourage you, if you're not engaging the Word of God, if maybe your prayer life or your engagement with the Holy Spirit, listen, it's not weird or kooky or whatever. Like the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you and he wants to work in you. Just say yes to what he's doing. As you're reading the Word and things start to pop out and you go, I never thought of that. Pray about it and ask the Holy Spirit, how can I apply that to my life? Engage with it that way. If you're not engaged in the church, go deeper. Find a place to get involved. Find a place to serve. Find a place to, to give your time and your energy. Because this is where it's at as we engage the Word, the Spirit, and the church.